session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Uh, I wanted to say a thank you to my guest on Monday night's show, Dr. Jennifer Galvin, clinical psychologist. Uh, she came on to talk about the very important topic of suicide. And we talked a bit about how you can talk to your kids about this issue, which is one that parents often avoid or people in general avoid. Um, but she gave some tips on how parents can have those conversations with their kids. And the most important thing is that we want to make things like suicide not a taboo where we can't talk about it, but start those conversations. So I was very happy to have her on the show, to have a, a show dedicated just to having that type of a conversation and I'll upload that show probably tonight or tomorrow for people who missed Monday night's show. But another big thanks to Dr. Galvin for joining me Monday night. Uh, all right, before I do the summary for the book for this past week, the book for this week is Incognito by David Eagleman, Incognito, The Secret Lives of the Brain. And so it looks like uh, I just started the book, but it's talking about the unconscious and how so much is going on within our brains and so much is being processed and there's so much going on unconsciously that we are not aware of. So I'm interested to read this book and share it with you next week. But the book from this past week that I'll talk about today is one that actually probably was the most controversial one just based on its title, based on responses I got from people on social media. But the title of the book is Swearing is Good for You by Emma Byrne. Swearing is good for you, the amazing science of bad language. And so just from the title, people had reactions that they did not like. And even on the cover, it has um, it doesn't actually say a bad word, but it almost does. And so people had a lot of reactions to that that I got. So I, I appreciate people always sharing their reactions. I will say, though, sometimes in the comments section, please don't. If you can have a healthy debate and discussion, I'm very much okay with that. But as we know, sometimes the comments sections in social media can get very ugly. didn't get too ugly, but there was some people that had differing opinions and didn't always express it in the nicest way. So um, always want to encourage people to please, if you disagree with me, always let me know. But if you are going to do that or disagree with anyone on my page, do it respectfully, please. Um, but so this book was an, it was an interesting book. The title caught my attention. I didn't know much about it, looked up the author and thought I'd give it a read. And I thought it was worth looking at because it's a very different type of thing than suicide that I was just talking about. But swearing is kind of a taboo or something that we think of as just a negative thing. But we have to still look at it and even scientists need to study it to better understand it and it can sometimes teach us a lot and as the author points out 
uh, swearing wasn't studied much because we thought of it as just this negative thing or this all bad thing. Um, but then sci scientists, psychologists, neuroscientists, sociologists started to study it and saw that there was a lot there that we can actually learn from um, the science of swearing or looking at what it means, what it does in the brain, and all sorts of other things. So I thought that was interesting and worth uh, looking at, and I'm glad that this book addressed that. Um, to begin with, she talks about how, what does it even mean for a word to be a swear word? And she says that amongst all the articles and studies that she saw, almost always what we see is that swear words are words that people use when they are highly emotional and words that refer to something taboo. And what's interesting is that these taboos vary from culture to culture at times and also historically. And that's why maybe if we hear swear words from the 1800s, we might actually find them quite funny because they don't sound bad or don't bring up anything because they have to have some emotional charge and have to be something that's taboo to talk about. So swear words are not set in stone and always just one thing or always going to be the same. We see them evolve over time. Even uh, for me, what I find interesting is just in my lifetime, I've seen that words have changed as far as some words that were acceptable before that are not acceptable now. Like an F word, not the one we usually think of, but one that was used to talk about gay people. I remember when I was a kid, you would hear it a lot more, but now it's less common. And even I realize when I say it, or if I hear it, it sounds different than it did when I was a kid. It has a different effect emotionally. And that's what we know about swear words is they bring up some type of emotion and that's what makes them have value. Now, what I also think is interesting is swearing is one of those things that people, it's a very easy black and white thing to say that anytime you use what people call bad language, it makes it bad. And if you're not using bad language, it makes it better. But as the author shows, there can be some value to it. And she doesn't say the point of this book, and you know, the title does grab your attention, swearing is good for you, is not to say that we should just be swearing all the time or that it's a good thing and constantly we should be doing it. She actually points out that swearing could have value or some kind of meaning, but it only has that meaning if we use it sparingly or we use it from time to not time, not just to use it to use it. It can actually mean something. And so that I thought was interesting and important for me to point out too, that the point of this book isn't to say, let's all swear all the time, but then maybe it means something. And as she describes it, sometimes we use it to express something. And if you feel very strongly about something, it can sometimes feel like uh, a swear word encompasses what you're feeling better than a non-swear word. I also think, again, that black and white that we have about swearing um, sometimes make people feel that if they're not swearing, their language is okay. But to me, you can say something far worse not swearing than sometimes swearing. For example, um, you know, someone could say, and it's, let's say something like, I don't, you're not a respectable human being and you have no dignity and no one should give you any type of love or care or appreciation and we should treat you really bad. Now, all those words are okay, but that's really not a very impolite thing to say. But if someone gets excited and uses the F word because they're excited and they're with their friends, I wouldn't necessarily say, that what they're saying is worse than what that person said. Actually, I'd say it's much better than what that other person was saying worse. And if we look throughout history, you see a lot of people defending indefensible things, inhumane things, genocide or slavery, 
using very intellectual language on the surface, but what they're saying is really horrible, and it's defending something horrific. So as always, we don't want to get into a black and white thinking about anything, but even with language, just to think that because someone uses profanity or swearing, it makes what they're saying bad. And if you're not swearing, somehow it's sophisticated. You can say some very unsophisticated things using sophisticated language. It doesn't make what you're saying valuable. Um, but also she describes two different types of swearing, getting back to that topic. There's propositional swearing, which is deliberately chosen for effect. So that's when we're talking, we choose it on purpose to kind of emphasize something. And it's processed mainly in the left hemisphere of the brain. Um, and it's processed for structure, sound, and meaning. But it doesn't mean it's only in the left brain, as she mentions also. Um, and then there's non-propositional swearing. And this is the unplanned, unintended outburst that comes when we're surprised or hurt. And it draws more heavily on the emotion processing part of the brain. So there's the propositional, intentional, the non-propositional. That's like when you stub your toe. And all of a sudden you scream something, and usually you don't scream a really kind, nice word. You might say something that's swearing. Uh, that's the non-propositional. And that's an interesting thing. So what I just shared, that example, you've probably experienced that before. When you stub your toe or hit, you all of a sudden get hurt or you get scared, usually the word that comes out a lot of times is going to be a swear word. And there's a reason for that because it does express or tap into some kind of feeling. It actually feels better. And related to that, a very interesting study or studies that have been done looking at the effects of swearing on pain and our ability to handle pain. So um, most psychologists didn't study this for a long time because they actually thought the swearing would make pain worse because of it would employ a cognitive distortion that we call catastrophizing. So if you started to use a swear word, it would make you think, well, things are even worse than how they are because those words would be coming out. So they thought it would actually hurt. However, they did some studies, and one of the ones that she talks about is where people could either say a swear word or they could re repeat an innocuous word like table as they put their hand in ice-cold water which is, of course, extremely painful. And what they found was that the people that were allowed to swear, or who were swearing during that process, they could hold their hand in the ice water longer. So basically what it means is it allowed them to tolerate pain better or more, um, and they actually perceived the pain to be less when they were swearing. So it's kind of interesting that that process, in a way, maybe to me it sounds like you're kind of able to release or express some of it, rather than holding it all in, and that makes it a little bit easier to tolerate exactly why we don't know, but it appears that if you're swearing, you can actually take the pain a little bit longer. And if you notice, when you get hurt, those words are more likely to come out. So there could be some reason for that. And so as she explains in the book, we know that although people thought of pain as something purely biological, we know that it's not just biological, it's very much psychological. And in a very different, uh, what might seem like an opposite thing from swearing, there's been studies that show that if, for example, someone is holding the hand of their loved one and they experience pain, they're going to feel less pain. Even the brain will measure it as less painful or less of that will be, uh, you know, that part of the brain will be firing, showing that they're feeling less pain because someone is holding their hand that they love, they feel comforted, they feel connected, they feel safe. So we see that pain is not just a purely subjective 
physical, biological thing, a huge part of it is psychological. And so she shares these studies showing that uh, there could be this element that swearing could make it easier to tolerate pain, which I thought was very interesting. Um, she also talks about gender and pain and how um, women can have more negative social consequences than men when it comes to swearing, which maybe is not surprising to many people, but they find that women will still swear just as much as men, especially if they're with their friends, if they're just with women, but there still is this stigma attached to swearing for women that we don't hold for men because we think of it as a strong thing for a man to do, but it can make a woman look bad in a particular way. And as she mentions, not just particular way, a specific one of being more sexually promiscuous, which is seen as a bad thing. Uh, I like to quote or a line that she had in the book. She said, let us allow men to cry and women to swear, which sounds a little bit uh, funny, but I think it's true. We should make it okay for everyone to express themselves in whatever ways. And when we put restrictions, even if it is swearing, something maybe you think is negative, that can have effects. And of course, not letting men cry can have very negative effects too. So I think that's an interesting point that she made and something that I do agree with. Um, she also shared some interesting stories and research that was done with non-humans like chimpanzees and that even they, in a way, learned to swear and they once they learned that being dirty was something bad which is kind of interesting they were potty training these chimpanzees so they wouldn't make a mess they would use dirty in kind of a swearing type of a way which is kind of interesting like if they were mad they might say it to the person that they were working with like dirty richard or dirty john or whatever their name was because they were upset and so we see that in a way that was swearing it wasn't about them actually being dirty it was swearing so she uses that as evidence to say that there could be something natural about swearing something that uh, maybe for a long time we've used swearing to communicate and it has had some kind of meaning or purpose um, and i thought that was very interesting and lastly i wanted to mention uh, something that people who speak two languages might experience especially if they learned one later uh, and that is, uh, you know, that we internalize the links between language and emotion most readily in childhood, which is why swearing in our first language tends to evoke stronger feelings than second language swearing, even for fluent speakers. And I thought that was interesting and it makes a lot of sense because usually we learn the rules about it's bad to swear or you're, you know, a bad boy or a bad girl or a bad person if you swear when you're a kid. And so you feel those restrictions in a, at a very young age that this is bad but as you get older you don't really feel that same thing and so maybe you'll experience this soon i can feel it myself but swearing in your first language might seem much worse than swearing in a language you learn later on and most people feel that and they even did research showing that people do experience that it just feels worse or brings a stronger emotional reaction in them which i thought um, was quite interesting. So a lot of the book wasn't just about swearing itself, but language in general and how we acquire language and the function of language. Um, but I thought especially that one was an interesting point, that swearing in different languages can feel different for us because, again, swearing has this emotional impact to it. It has to be emotionally laden for it to really have that effect. And also related to that, that's why sometimes when you learn a new language, you could learn the swear words but you might not quite know how to use them right or at the right moments or to have the right effect because it's definitely embedded in the culture 
the way that you swear, what you use, and even what constitutes swear words. In some um, countries and cultures, words related to calling someone an animal are more common. In other words, countries or cultures it's more about religious things in some it's more about sexual things even though that one's more of a universal one but we find that different cultures swear in different ways which is also uh, very interesting and they use swear words in different ways so i thought this was interesting book one that um, i think maybe some might be surprised to hear me talking about a book that says swearing is good for you but i think we do need to look at all aspects of our language our psychology the good, the bad, the parts we think maybe aren't even good. And I think this book did a good job of showing that there can be positive aspects or functions to swearing where we can make sure we try to understand it better and not just write it off as some bad thing and make it taboo and unspeakable and also unresearchable to find out more about it. And I thought that was interesting. So that was Swearing is Good for You, The Amazing Science of Bad Language by Emma Byrne. And this week's book of the week is Incognito by David Eagleman. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, are you talking to me? Yes, I am. Thanks for calling. Okay, thank you for having me. I'm sure. not sure how much time I have, but I have three questions okay, that are kind fine. of unrelated. <laughs> okay, um, let's. we'll start with the first one and we'll see how it goes. Go ahead. Okay, so um, to be honest, I've never listened to your show. I've only listened to your dad, so I'm not sure if I'm supposed to give a background about myself or not. That'll work, sure. No problem. Yeah, background will help. Yeah. Okay, so I'm 23. I have a bachelor's and a master's in accounting. I have uh, one brother. He's 18. We moved to the U.S. eight years ago, and our dad passed when I was 18, and he was a very angry man, but I'm not sure if I should tell you more about that right now for my questions or not. Okay, we'll keep um, that in mind. All right. Yeah, and then my first question and most important one is that I have a really hard time focusing um, so every time that I have to do something, um, I run away from it. It doesn't matter if it's studying or um, doing a hobby or working out or whatever it is. If I have to do it and if I know it's beneficial for me, I do something else like without even knowing that I'm doing something else. And then a few hours deep in, I realize that I just wasted my whole day basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really hurting me now because I have to study for my board exam and I just can't get myself to study. For example, I would go to a, go to the library, a study room in the library to study for 15 hours. And after the day was over, it was 2 a.m. And I would look back and maybe I studied for two hours. And um, another thing that's really bothering me is that I've also in the past like 
couple years because of working on or quote unquote studying. I've also been binge eating a lot as um, like an excuse for, oh, I'm stressed and I'm busy, but I know that I could really just manage my time well. I just don't know how I can just yeah. put everything together. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, obviously there's a lot that you, you shared there. You talked about focus and it seems like it's less, it could be about focus itself, like in a the ADHD type of way of talking about focus, but it seems like it's putting things off or a hard time to get yourself to do something, which it doesn't sound like it's focused yet, but we can go more. It does sound to me more like um, anxiety or perfectionism or something along those lines where it's hard for you to get yourself to do certain things. Plus, you talked about your father being very angry, so that's something to look at of how that's affected how you deal with things, um, how you take care of things, if you need some kind of pressure to get something to get done or not. But we should also keep in mind you've been able to get your bachelor's and master's by the age of 23, so you're still able to get a lot done. It just seems like you give yourself a lot more stress than you probably need to have. Uh, yeah, and, uh, I think I do because I also buy it off the skin around my nail all the time. Yeah, yeah so there seems yeah. to be a lot of anxiety, and um, there also probably is a lot of anger that you're carrying also. And that's mm-hmm. that's something that it's going to be good for us to look at. And maybe even, you know, one thing to keep in mind, we'll revisit, and this is related to the perfection, is when you say, I, I want to go study for 15 hours, that itself might be too much. And I know you mm-hmm. have to study probably a lot for the, the boards, but when you set that kind of a standard, then you maybe will do less than if you actually say, I'm only going to go to the library for three hours, then 15, mm-hmm. you know, to get yourself going. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you did mention your father being very angry. When you say very angry, was there physical abuse, emotional abuse? Yeah, there was actually all of it. Um, mm. I remember from like when I was even I remember my parents fights and him beating everyone up mainly my mom um, the physical thing wasn't as much to us as it was to my mom but the yelling I would say based on what I remember about every week we had a massive argument in the house and actually when he passed away um, nobody was talking to him due to an argument and then one day we just found him dead and ever since he died basically we've just been ignoring the fact that he even existed nobody even brings his name up or something mm. um, I myself have some mixed feelings about him because at the end of the of day course. he was my dad but I'm also really angry with him because I think he was a, when I really think logically I think he was a disgusting human being um, and Another thing, another one of my problems is that the way my brother treats me, and I'm not sure if that's related to my dad, but I, I don't know. These are all kind of unrelated, but then called, kind of related. Well, yeah, well, they're all so. related. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as we, you know, usually we'll, we'll find when it comes to psychological things, but just our overall well-being, all the things are interrelated and interconnected. So um, we can try to tease them apart and separate them, but they definitely all influence each other. So mm-hmm. I think what you said, you, you know, you talked about having mixed feelings about your father that makes sense and unfortunately when we have those types of mixed feelings and that strong anger towards the person who has died it can usually make the grieving process very complicated meaning we don't really get to go through it and on top of that when you have a family that appears to be using denial as a way to deal with the death and just mm-hmm. avoid it altogether uh, that makes it even harder for you to go through that grieving process. So, mm-hmm. and you talked about the eating, it seems very much like you're just trying to stuff the feelings down or numb yourself 
from yeah, that. Yeah, every time I have an issue, I without even noticing it, I have either gotten something and I've already eaten it, or in the middle of eating, I realize that I yeah. was eating. And so that's telling us that you, you know, it's also because emotions are something that are not allowed to be expressed or you don't feel like you can. So you just try to numb them or make them disappear. Or even it sounds like the binging you do, as it is for most people that binge, you kind of dissociate. So you don't even, you kind of lose touch with yourself completely. And that's another way of getting away from the feelings. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of the issues might be coming down to the ways that you are never allowed to express feelings. Of course, when your father was alive, the way you're describing him, I get, I doubt there was a lot of space for your emotions to be expressed and to be validated and cared for. And then now it seems like after his death, with the denial being the main way of dealing with things, that's not working either. Um, mm-hmm. When you mentioned your brother, how does he treat you? So basically, um, I don't even have to do anything or say anything. I'm automatically shut down. So even... Like, basically, the only thing I tell him in a day is hi, and he says, shut up, or get the F off, or go die, or F off, or basically anything. He's only nice to me when he needs something, and after he gets it, he immediately starts treating me like shit. um, Yeah, so I know it's funny. I just talked about a book about, but we still have regulations and things that we can't use certain words, so please be aware of those. Yeah, I'm so sorry. But so, you know... It seems, and how old is he? He's 18. 18, okay. Uh, I, I mean, you asked me if it's related to your father. I mean, the simple answer is yes, but of course it's always going to be more complicated than that because I also don't want to say that if someone's father was very angry, they're allowed to be angry at other people. And so it's just okay. But I'm sure seeing how your father treated you and your mom, he, he definitely has internalized some of that. He, of course, has his own anger towards him, too, but it seems like the way he's treating you is not okay, um, but it, it, it's it's happening, and that's there. And I think, again, it goes back to this idea of unexpressed feelings, and it seems like mm-hmm. your whole family is holding on to a lot of pain and a lot of anger, and because it's not allowed to be processed and expressed in healthy ways, it comes out in unhealthy ways. With your brother, it seems more like he takes it out. I'm sure he mm-hmm. hurts himself too, but with you, it seems like you more take it in and you hurt yourself or you you internalize it. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, those, unfortunately, neither one of them are healthy. They hurt us and the relationships in different ways, but that seems to be, seems to be what's going on. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things you brought up, so we can talk about them in a way one at a time. But when it comes to the, the focusing, um, has this always been an issue for you? Um, I think it's gotten worse, but okay. I do, because right now I was trying to blame technology for it because a lot of times I just get on my computer or my phone. But mm-hmm. um, I remember even back when I was in elementary school and I didn't have a phone in Iran, um, I had a TV in my room and I would turn on the TV and watch it silently or I would just grab a tweezer and I would just pluck hair out of my body or I would just do anything. Um, my homework was always left for nighttime when it was about bedtime and now it's going worse and I mean right now I have um, more freedoms. I just go wherever I want but I just don't do anything no matter where I go. Um, I try to change wherever I study but it just doesn't help. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about the plucking is, and you talked about picking your fingers or things, is that something that you do a lot picking either face hair anything like that 
Um, I don't pluck the hair anymore, but I do just bite off the skin. Um, I used to pluck the head, uh, my the hair on my head. I don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I still do grab a tweezer, but not as much. Um, definitely, like it's kind of like maybe ninety times better. But um, I still do like pick on things um, to just play with it, whether it be like my. Um, like pimple on my body or like just my fingers or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, and so it tells us you're dealing with a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And do you feel that? Do you feel nervous a lot of times? Do you feel uh, like anxious often? Is that yeah, something you a lot deal of times. Like? When something, sometimes when things get out of hand, I wish that I could just keep more calm. Um, I just can't. Even right now, I'm really nervous. I'm trying to fight it. But a lot of times, I just feel like I could be more calm. Even my boyfriend tells me, like, calm down a little bit. It's not as bad as you make it sound like. Um, I just don't know how to manage it. Well, yeah. So it seems like you're, you know, um, I understand where your boyfriend's coming from, but I I think it would be more helpful for you if he was validating what you're going through, not to say you should react the way you do or have a strong feeling, but to be there with what you're feeling. Because I think you're dealing with, carrying all this pain and you know the, I mean, the anxiety you must have been uh, I'm, ha- I'm having this image of you as a little girl just scared all the time in your home yeah i was always scared of yeah. my dad every time i would see his car parked i was like oh no he's home before me mm-hmm. i was always scared of him so i mean you know you you lived constantly in fear and so because of that even though he is literally gone you know he can't hurt you anymore you're still operating in that space in that mindset of constant fear and anxiety like something is about to happen almost like someone dealing with ptsd but it's like this like you're almost vigilant or you're, you're, you're going to be worried about things so it seems like being calm is is an issue for you and something important one practical thing i'll say right now before we go to the break and we'll talk after the break is uh, meditation and exercise both of those things can be helpful um, in helping with that state of calm. But there's a lot a lot you're dealing with and a lot you're carrying. So let's go to a commercial break. After the break, let's talk some more, okay? Sure, thank okay. you. Sure. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulok. We will be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with a caller. Let's go back to her caller. Are you still there? Yes. Okay. Um, so, you know, as you were talking more and more about your childhood, I think we can see that it's having a huge impact on you today, even though who we might consider the biggest contributor to what you experience as a child, your father, has he's passed away, so he's no longer here, but the effects are still very much there. And maybe in a way, it's not the same as if he was here, but because he has died, the grief that you haven't been able to go through because of all that complicated emotional uh, 
things that are going on, I think have actually made things worse. So mm-hmm. for me, a, a big thing that's going to help you is to get in touch with these feelings and start to express them. Probably the best way to do that is to go to therapy. Um, but it, it's going to need to happen because it doesn't seem like your family is going to allow for that space. Have you gone to therapy uh, on your own before? Um, yeah, I did. I went for a couple sessions when he died um, right away, okay. but I just, it wasn't uh, with a Persian counselor, and I just can't express my emotions in Farsi. I I prefer to talk in English when it goes to arguing things or expressing. So I just quit that, but a couple years later, I went back um, to my school um, counselor, and um, I had about... Um, 13 sessions. I basically okay. was just feeling lost, and that helped me a lot, but I I still don't think it helped me with my dad issues, because at yeah. the moment, I didn't really have issues with him. I just had issues with myself, and it helped me um, find myself and my religious views and what I want to do and stuff, and then I went back again du- during my master's, but that was also just to help with my anger um, because another thing that I'm calling you about is because I feel like I get angry easily mm-hmm. and that helped a little bit but my sessions ended and um, I feel like it didn't now that I'm looking back I feel like it didn't help as much as I wish it would well you know I'm glad you you went those times um, but the the things you're talking about the issues that are so deep like the ones you're dealing with even 13 sessions especially if you're focused on something specific like you were then are not going to be enough. What you're going to need is to be ready to commit six months, a year at least, to therapy, Mm -hmm. going every Mm -hmm. week. Because these are some deep issues that even for you to start to get comfortable enough to talk about them and really get into them is going to take some time. So when you tell me 13 Mm -hmm. sessions, I can be pretty sure that that's just going to be scratching the surface. And I think the amount of unprocessed feelings and pain and hurt and the ways it's affected your self-esteem, even, you know, another thing we have to think about or look at is the way your father was treating you guys and treating you is going to have a huge effect on your self-esteem. And that could even affect your ability to push yourself forward and believe that you deserve success or deserve to do well. So you might even some way self-sabotage yourself, um, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And so this is what I mean when I say, although he's not here to hurt you, He's in your head now because that's what we do. We internalize our parents' voices and the ways they treated us, and we start to treat ourselves in that way. And so it seems like he might not be here, but you hurt yourself in different ways almost every day. And that's what we want to try to break is that cycle of him still hurting you even though he's not here because you do it to yourself. Yeah. So I would highly recommend, you know, give it a a long go. You have to build a strong relationship with your therapist heal through these things and you brought up something very important language is so important i was talking about it the book i talked about it was talking specifically yeah, yeah. about swearing but it, you know that emotions are expressed differently in our in different languages that we speak and so you have to 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 go to a therapist where you feel of course very comfortable with them connected to them but that you can express yourself in the language that feels right to you that's really critical so I'm, I'm glad you were able to recognize that, but I hope you'll give yourself that opportunity when you go back in. Yeah, I, I actually, 
I did go for a little bit over six months, but it was every other week, and sometimes it would be once a month because of holidays. So I will try a better therapist, probably not at my school. Um, Yeah, usually at at the counseling centers, it's a great service, and it's so wonderful. Actually, I did my first internship during graduate school at uh, USC Student Counseling Center, and it was a great experience, and I was hope I hope I helped the clients I worked with there, but usually you get limited number of sessions at yeah, a counseling exactly. center. That's what happened. Yeah, like you yeah. said, thirteen. Even that's a lot. Sometimes it's eight. Sometimes it's twelve, six. It's it's you know. So you can't really do long term therapy. And usually, actually, when we'd see people, and if we thought they needed long term therapy, we would refer them out because we knew we couldn't give them that. So I think in your case, the shorter term stuff was great to deal with some acute issue or something, and that I'm glad you went to that but really get ready to go to long-term therapy because there's so many issues that you're dealing with and it, mm-hmm. there's just like this storm inside of you that you never really yeah. got to express. Um, and unfortunately, the dynamics are there in your family which with your brother being angry. You mentioned yourself being very angry too. Yeah. Um, and I think, unfortunately, you well, I guess there's no good way, but you internalize it to yourself a lot, unfortunately, and hurt yourself. And I think that even is related to your focus issues. Um, even when you have such a harsh parent, it can make it hard to do things like study because when you start to study, you open yourself up to make mistakes and make errors. And that could be very scary for you when you have such a harsh person as a parent um, because mistakes usually are not responded to very kindly. Did you have that experience that you felt like you know m- making mistakes or doing something wrong Was your father also critical when it came to the anger, or was it just he would get angry about just in general about fights? No, he would criticize everyone, but, like, even stupid things uh, such as um, brushing my teeth not long enough or not going to bed early enough would make him yell very, like, loudly and stuff. Um, Yeah, so So we can see how scary it is to, let's say, take a practice test for your, um, you know, your, your exam when you feel like the, you know, any mistake in your mind, you probably do that to yourself at some level, beating yeah, yourself up. Yeah, even when up. I got glasses, he got mad at me, even though it was genetics. Wow, yeah. As if you somehow have control over your vision or yeah. wanted to <laughs> yeah. get glasses. Yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, that's something I felt in how you were describing it. The focus, it seems less about something like ADHD that could be there, you know, something to consider, but more about the anxiety and these other issues that make it scary for you uh, to start doing the work or to do mm-hmm. something. And again, even this self-sabotage or this lack of self-love, that it's not easy for you, you even said yourself, to do the things that are good for you, um, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And so that's, that's very important. I think you said you had three questions. I don't know if we got, there was a third one I don't know if we got to yet. Yeah, um, it was just the anger issues, my brother, and then my um, the way I study and focus things. I okay. do, I did get that I have to start meditating, exercising, and seeing therapy every week. But I just wanted to know if you have any tips on how I can get through these board exams because it's yeah. eighteen period, right? 18 so month period, eighteen yeah. months. Yeah, I mean, I have up to eighteen. Oh, months right. Oh, right. I see. Sections. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, there's, um, you know. I want you to keep in mind these issues you're dealing with and start to deal with them. And the exercise and meditation will be good for you in many ways, including that. Um, But one thing, when you said, like, I'm going to the library for 15 hours, that maybe is a bad way to start. You might want to start smaller, like just Mm -hmm. even 
you know, tomorrow tell yourself, I only can study one hour maximum. Mm -hmm. If you're not able to study at all, I'm saying. Give yourself some smaller goals to get to to gain some momentum. Because if you say I'm going to be at the library for 15 hours, you probably get there and, well, I have 15 hours, so, let, you know, I can relax a little. Let me go on Instagram a little bit. Let me do this. Let me do that. You'll, you know, be like, I'm going to be here so long that you actually waste more time and, and get out of it. I'd rather, I think it's better to give yourself limited time at the beginning and build up uh, to more time. Um, mm -hmm. If you can get study people to study with, things like you know we don't want to blame your phone it's not that your phone is the problem but it could be something that distracts you do something with your phone where you don't even take it with you inside the library or you do certain things to prevent that from happening so you might have to give yourself some firm boundaries to make it a little bit easier um, mm -hmm. and remind yourself that you deserve to take this test and do well and even if you don't mm -hmm. pass it's okay you can take it again uh, but I yeah, think I actually failed the first session. Yeah. I just got my scores. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm sorry to hear that, but that's okay. It's a it's not a failure, as in like a stamp on you. It's just an obstacle, you know. So you're gonna keep yeah. studying. You know, you can study harder than you did. You didn't not pass because you're not smart enough. You probably didn't study well enough, which is actually good news because that means you can study harder. So, yeah. um, you know, just those. I think I can feel the heaviness when you talk about these things that you're so hard on yourself and put so much pressure on yourself that unfortunately it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that you make it more likely that you don't pass you know because you get mm -hmm. afraid to even start so you know and also the way you describe yourself it might not be easy for you to ask for help but you need to ask for help and support whether it's finding people to study with people to support you in keeping you on track you know, all those types of things to, to help you out because you don't need to do this alone. And when yeah. it comes to the family stuff, um, it's tough. You know, you can let your brother know that he can't treat you that way or disrespect you in certain ways, whether he's going to stop or not. Obviously, that's going to be up to him. But unfortunately, because your father treated you guys in that way, there could be a tendency for you to accept certain ways of people treating you that are not okay. And so yeah. your radar is going to be a little bit off in recognizing what's okay and not okay, not just in what happens to you, but even what you might do. So you said your own issues of anger. Unfortunately, you might even do things that are not okay because you just saw those things and it became the norm. So you have to be aware of that too, that your own anger can get out of control and you have to be aware of that also. Yeah. And also, um, in regards to my brother, do you um, have any recommendations on how I should react to him when he tells me to just go die or just go away or whatever? Well, I mean, those, that's what I'm saying. I would say those things are not okay. You know, you tell him, you, please, you know, you can't talk I to me that way. Him, but yeah. he, just does, he just yells at you. He yells worse than my dad these days, actually. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And at me and my mom, my mom just doesn't do anything about it because she's scared of him too. She's scared of him running away or becoming addicted to something. Okay, but we can't let uh, the fear dictate allowing him to disrespect you or your mom. So, I mean, if you can, just don't interact with him. I mean, that, that you might have to just let him know, and, and he might yell at you when you say that, that if, if you're going to treat me that way, we can't be connected or related to each other as far as having a relationship and let him you know, say or do whatever he wants. So the idea that because you guys are brother and sister, you have to be close to him, is not the case but i would also if you want to try to connect to him we can be pretty sure just like when it comes to you that underneath all of this anger and whatever else is going on there's a lot of pain so 
mm-hmm. um, you know, you can try to connect with him at the pain. And unfortunately, it seems like it's hard to talk about things in your family, but maybe take that risk of saying something about, you know, I know um, things haven't always been so easy in our family or whatever it is that feels right to you. I would try to connect him at the pain rather than attacking him for his anger, because usually that's not going to go well. It's just going to lead to him getting angrier. Um, He might get angry at you bringing up his pain because he's defended against it and he doesn't want to look at it but it might be a better route than trying to attack him for his anger. Um, you can't say it's not okay for you to treat me that way. I think you should. But um, as far as how to get him to see what's going on, I would just get him to see that I, I think we're all hurt in this family, you know, which is how it yeah. sounds. We're all wounded from what we experienced, and there's a lot of pain, and we can all benefit from getting some help. We all deserve to get that help. So, um, But I hope for yourself you protect yourself and not letting him treat you in a way that's not okay and recognize that sometimes you might tolerate things that are not okay because that was a family norm but it's not normal or something you should accept mm-hmm. okay thank you can i ask one more question sure if it's let's see how what it's about and you know we can either address it now or yeah just ask ask what it is and then we'll, we'll figure it out go ahead um, I've been told by um, my doctor that I might have ADHD, and also my friends have been telling me that ADHD medicine is um, Adderall, and I should just start taking it. I haven't, I've never taken it. Um, I do have an appointment with a psychiatrist to go get checked out, but if he did um, tell me to take ADHD, do you recommend taking that or no? Because I'm kind of against pills unless it's needed. Um, so I just wanted to know what you think. Well, so first of all, your friend's saying just take it. I mean, a lot of... People just take it recreationally, either just for fun, but also, oh, I need to study, so let me take it. And definitely, I wouldn't recommend that. So just the you know the idea of just taking it, absolutely not. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not against medication overall. There is a need for it, and I know you're saying you would take it if it's needed. That's why I would meet with a psychiatrist without an agenda. Some of your friends might also tell you, hey, if you say these things, it's more likely they're going to give you the pills, or there might yeah. be certain doctors that are more likely to give it to you. I hope you don't do it in that way because yeah medications (laughs) have effects and side effects and things that they're doing to your body that we don't just want to take and you know so i would i would meet with a psychiatrist and talk about what's going on see if he or she wants to give you a test for adhd and do that there's the tova and there's other tests that can be done so i would go through that process but i wouldn't say definitely don't take it or definitely do take it i would say take it if it seems like you're dealing with adhd um, but if not, yeah, your friends might still tell you, oh, it's going to help you focus. I took it and I studied 10 hours straight. And I did this and that. But there, it's a drug. There's risks to it. So we can't just say because it's going to help you study, do it no matter what. So I'm glad you made that appointment. And maybe in that appointment, um, the psychiatrist very likely can refer you to therapists also. So I would mention that as well because if there's ADHD, yeah, you want to deal with that and the medication can definitely help. But I think... What you're dealing with isn't just ADHD. Even if that's mm-hmm. a big part of your focus issue, uh, you're dealing with much more than that. So I hope you will face that and address that. You're dealing with years and years of pain that's been built up, and now you're just hurting yourself every day. And hopefully we can stop that cycle. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. It was really nice talking to you. Wish you all the best. Thank you. Have a good day. And you too. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back.
back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Yes, hi, uh, doctor. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Uh, I haven't, I'm not going to say it's very general. I know what bisexual is, but I'd like to know if it, they're born with it or is something they add to it when they get older. So you said something they add to it? Yeah, like oh. I want more. Okay. One doesn't make me happy. Is that something that come on in their DNA or what is it? Because I don't get this bisexual people for some reason. What do you mean you don't get? I don't have any respect or I would say I don't get them. I just don't know what's the reason to be with a boy, with a girl and with a boy. Okay. Respect is a very big word. I take that one very seriously. Um, and I don't know. There's a lot of thoughts I'm having. I'm trying to think of how to, to start off. So to begin with sexuality, yes, people are born with it. But I also don't think there's no effect of what happens to them afterwards that can have effects on sexuality. Um, but just looking at bisexuality itself, because you're saying you don't re respect that, uh, and you're not the only one, and actually I was going to do a segment, and I still might, because uh, June is Pride Month, and it's my last show in June, so uh, I might do a segment dedicated to that in, in the next couple ones before the end of the show. Um, but looking at sexuality, we generally like to put people in categories that are very clean and black or white because it's easier for us to think of things in this way. So in general, we just liked heterosexual, but okay, if we're going to be a little bit more open-minded, we think you can be straight or gay and that's it because that's at least simple as we know. Um, but when we've done studies and Kinsey did a lot of research on sexuality and many have been done obviously since then, we see that bisexuality is a real thing. Some people are attracted to both sexes. And even more than that, most people aren't just purely heterosexual or purely homosexual. And that's why Kinsey has, a, he has it as a scale uh, that you can be kind of more attracted to men or more attracted to women. But many people can be attracted to both. So um, I would definitely, I hope that the idea that you have of they're just almost like they're being greedy, it seems almost like you're saying, or they're just not, you know, it's not enough for them, so they want more. It's some kind of selfish thing. Uh, I, I don't see it that way at all, because attraction is something you can't just fake or pretend just because you want something more. It's not like we're talking about having more clothes or shoes or cars where you can just take on more. We're talking about attraction. So um, uh, to me, you know, I'm happy you're calling because a lot of people don't treat members of the LGBTQ community with respect and they still get um, discrimination against them, even legally. We saw the Supreme Court ruling in a way uh, that could be related to that about the couple, uh, the gay couple who wanted the wedding cake baked and that whole thing. So they still get a lot of discrimination, which leads to higher rates of things like suicide in their, the community because of that. So I hope people listening will hear me out when I say that people are born a particular way and they're born that way. And some people are bisexual, some people are homosexual, some people are heterosexual, some people feel like they're more of a man, some feel like they're more of a woman, some feel in between. 
all these things are possible and okay and that's just how people are and especially even for me more important that is like really why should we care who someone is attracted to or why someone feels they're more male or female or man or woman these things really don't affect you in any way or me if someone else has a feeling or a desire that's up to them but we seem to get so involved in in what they think or they feel but so going back to what you were saying what's your feeling about them you mentioned you feel like they are just wanting more and you can't understand yeah, I, mean, I don't know how to ask my question but my um question is if someone feel bisexual like they are under 20 mm-hmm. it could be um something like it could be you could control it to not be there, or you born with it. When you might control it, like control, like for example, I want to go, I want to eat a lot. Okay. But I can control to not eat a lot. Yeah, but so right, but but even the word you said, they're sick. Like, so why is being bisexual so bad? To me, some people, here's the thing, I'm so old-fashioned. Yeah. And I feel like either you are man or woman, and if you born with some time of uh, chromosome or DNA that you mixed up, that uh, absolutely I have respect for them. They become, they are born as a boy and become woman. I understand that. But if you born completely, for example, woman, or boy, and by the time you're 20, you are even having dating so many uh, people, uh, opposite people, and um, all of a sudden you coming out and you said that um, I'm bisexual. I just feel like um, there is something must be behavior, I would say. Okay, but here's the thing: the things we're talking about are very complex. Because even like you said, some, you know, let's say a guy and he goes on a bunch of dates and then around 20, he says, I think I'm bisexual or let's say he thinks I'm gay. It doesn't mean he's faking or lying or just trying to add something. We know that when people are exploring their sexuality because of the things I was talking about before, the judgments, of course, religious issues, the way their family talks about it, the way they get treated in society people don't just freely get to explore their sexuality or see who they are. Many people who are gay or bisexual at a very young age will resist that or might not even see it because they won't think it's acceptable to even themselves or their family or society. So I wouldn't just say because someone dated people and now they think something else, they're faking it or they're making it up or they're just trying to get attention or they're just trying to get more they could be actually just exploring who they are and now looking at it in a different way because they're trying to be more open or they're facing something that they didn't realize was there. And very often people will find that because they didn't want to accept that they were gay or bisexual because of all the stigma that's attached to it. So I would hope that you recognize or have this more accepting mindset that people are trying to figure out something that isn't like a black and white thing, even to ourselves, that, that people explore. And so if someone is unsure or questioning or um, finds out something about themselves later in life, it doesn't mean they're just trying to do it for either some, for some negative reason. Yeah, 
maybe they were born that way, but they were not aware of it. We're not talking about something like eye color where you're born a certain way and you can see it and it's very clear. We're talking about something much more internal that is not always so clear, especially when there are so many cultural and societal pressures and bullying, discrimination, and all sorts of other things that make it a lot harder for someone to genuinely look at what's going on for them. So that to me is very important because a lot of what you're saying is still the way lots of people think about it, that someone who's bisexual is just trying to be, um, you know, have it, have what? It's not like unbehaved to be bisexual. I feel like, um, okay, I don't know how to be untreated. We, I, I don't know how to treat the bisexual people, to be honest. But what do you like, need? To, but when you say treat them, what do you need to to do? To respect them, to accept them. I feel like to accept bisexual people, it means like I accepting someone who are doing the wrong stuff because I feel like. There is three things in war, in in our, honestly, life that should be under control. One is sleeping, eating, and sex. If these three things are out of control, it's absolutely destroy your life. Okay, but why, example, why is... But hold on, hold on, hold on. But why is someone's sex out of control if they're attracted to men and women? Well, if you have attracted to men and women, how you can have a family... Why can't you have a fam? People, you can be bisexual and have... Okay, so let's say, are you heterosexual? Huh? Are you heterosexual? No. You're a lesbian? No. You're bisexual? I mean, I'm on, um, no, no, I'm a straight. I'm talking about on behalf of one of my friends. Okay, no, but I'm saying is... What I'm trying to say is forget... Okay, let me just talk about... like someone, Let's say a man is, is heterosexual. They're attracted to women. They marry one woman. They're still attracted to other women. Doesn't mean they're going to cheat on them. So if someone is bisexual, they marry one man or one woman. They can be attracted to other people, but it doesn't mean they're going to have to cheat on them just because they're attracted to people. Everyone's still attracted to people. So being bisexual doesn't mean you can't get married and have a family. So if you kiss how you have to accept them, because I feel like bisexual, it means I'm not really... I don't know. I don't. I cannot get that, doctor. I really can't. I know, but I think it's because you're holding on to some old-fashioned that I have to be able to know who you're attracted to or how many people you're, you know, you have to be attracted to just half the planet, not the whole planet, let's say, potentially. I, being, I, I feel like this is some hormone turn in and you're young, and by the time you're 30 and 40, you feel sorry that you couldn't control your hormones. And um, it's okay. just so much regret, and I don't know how to... I can I know I just have a problem with it. But I, yeah, I think you know you're, it, you have to also look at some issues or you know feelings that you have about sex yourself, because again, if someone's attracted to both men and women, doesn't mean they have to be more anything than someone else, even more promiscuous or not committed to someone. And it is a real thing. Bisexuality is real. It's not something. I think you're still operating under the assumption that these people are making it up, or it's yeah hormones. Like they're so you know, sexually wanting to be with so many people that they want everyone. It's not like that. We can't fake attraction in that way. You can't just become attracted to some people that you're not because you want to have fun or be, you know, be with more people. We're talking about bisexuality means I feel an attraction to men 
and to women. Some people are very attracted to very masculine men and some people are not. Some people are attracted to masculine and more feminine looking men. That's okay, but we wouldn't get concerned about that. So I think you're looking at it very black and white, that there's men, women, and it's this and it's that, but it's not really the case. We want to make it that way, but it's not really true. There's sometimes I can show you a, a picture of someone from the back and you can't tell me if it's a man or a woman. You wouldn't well, know. If the person is in relationship with a man, it doesn't mean that bisexual person does not cheat on her on her partner. Of course not. Just like, again, an, a heterosexual man is married to a woman. Does he have to be with other women? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you are saying. I thank you for... Uh, no, I appreciate you calling. I hear that. Yeah. I just have to, I think, get used to this stuff because being this open, I think it's not part of my generation. Maybe, and I'm glad you're calling because I don't think, obviously, you're the only person that thinks this way. And that's why we need to have these conversations, uh, even if we don't see things the same way. So I'm happy you're calling and asking your questions. But, you know, to me, it's, it's very much people are born this way and a person then chooses how to live their life if they want to be in a committed relationship or not. And then if they do, if they want to be faithful or not, that's also in a way their own choice and the way they live their life. But it's not something to think that because someone is bisexual, then if they're with a man, they have this need also to be with a woman at the same time. So they have to be unfaithful. They can be with a man and be very happy and be in a relationship. And again, if someone's married, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden everyone becomes ugly to them. A heterosexual man will still find women other than their wife attractive. A heterosexual woman will still find other men than her husband attractive, but they won't act on that, hopefully, if they decide to be faithful. That's their choice. And the same thing could be for someone bisexual. They might um, be attracted to both men and women, but they don't have to be unfaithful. You know, they're, they're capable of monogamy just like anyone else is. So, uh, you know, I think I'm glad you're asking these questions also in your own head and talking about them because that's the only way we can start to see other perspectives. But if we accept that people are born this way and it's not somehow making them immoral, and these are the same things people say about homosexuality, that someone who's gay is somehow immoral because of what they're doing. So it's the same kind of thing. that Okay, someone bisexual is immoral for who they're attracted to, but, but they're not. That's just how they are and how they're born and how what they're attracted to is both men and women and doesn't make them evil or bad or immoral. That's just who they are, just like being gay is not a sin. Or unfortunately, as someone from the mental health profession, it's not a mental illness as it was considered for so many years. It's just the way that someone is born. They're attracted to certain people. And we have to be careful not to categorize things and get so attached to things being so black and white because it's easier for us to think about them and to everything fits a certain square and a certain box that it makes it easier for us to feel comfortable but that's not how people are there's different ranges just like you know for me sometimes we talk about gender and some people say no it's just man and woman there's nothing else okay but i'm sure if i show you people you can tell me that's a manly man and that's a less manly man well what are we talking about that's that's gender not being binary we see that there's a range of how we even see masculinity or femininity, or, oh, she's a very girly girl, or, no, she's a tomboy, she's more masculine, and we can see differences and variations. So we try to make it black and white because it's easier to think about things, but these things aren't black and white. It's just a way to, just like age. Age is not 
you're old or young. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, there's older people and younger people, but it's not black or white. So even when it comes to something like gender, it's not that way. And even sexuality, we think it's so black and white, but it's not. And if you look at the research, it shows that a lot of people are much more uh, bisexual or not purely heterosexual or homosexual. There's a lot more to it. So that's really how who we are as human beings. We have all these types of people, and they're all part of being human and okay people worthy of respect and love. And again, how someone else decides to live their life doesn't interfere with your life at all. We shouldn't judge them in any way or disrespect them or give them a lack of respect. That's up to them. I, I understand that, but what's your advice for my generation old-fashioned way? Well, like, I, th I think it's to recognize... What is your advice to accept and to control... Not to control, I'm not going to say control is the right word for the moment with this generation. To guide them that sex is not... I don't know. I, I, it's not all about... Life is not all about sex. But I think, I, I think the more I'm hearing you talk about sex and the way you're talking about it, it seems like you have your own issues related to sex. Well, I think when you are young, when people, when this young generation, I feel like it's so different because they are so open. Okay. And they are, um, I, I don't know, I, maybe I just don't get that, that they're sleeping with men. But okay, let's look at let's look at a country like Iran. You think because they're so closed off about sex, it's made people act sexually better? If anything, it makes it makes them act sexually much worse. I think when we allow people to be comfortable and express themselves as they want to express it, they actually do it in a much healthier way than when you repress it and say no one could talk about sex or look at sex or no one could have sex. This you know when we put those restrictions, it makes it worse. It doesn't make people act better. They just do worse things in the dark then people here might do it in the light. Well, I grew up in Iran. I understand. I, no, I, I get I, that. I, yeah. And we completely were separate. Men and women were separate. Yeah. And I remember when I was younger, uh, since we were so limited, connected with men, I would definitely would think I would go with women. But the older you get, the more you learn, you could absolutely get rid of that feeling. Well, I think what you just said there is very important for you to think more about. So even, I was talking about your issues maybe with sex, but there could even be some issues related to being attracted to women that you're dealing with. And maybe even you put that away in a way of like, I have to not be attracted to women, only be attracted to men. And maybe in a way there's almost a sense of envy at, over the people who don't put that part of themselves away. So it, it even would I would ask you if you are willing, because it might not be easy, to actually look even more closely at yourself and your own feelings and desires and what actually is there. Is there an attraction towards women that you put away? Because maybe that's something that's creating this anger you have towards people who are not putting that away. I was a good girl and I took that away from myself and put away that feeling. Who are these people that try to be selfish and greedy and have it all? I did the right thing. And maybe you didn't do the right thing. Maybe there's a part of you that's there that you've been rejecting. And because of that, you're rejecting in, uh, in other people. So as a bi if someone is bisexual, except that the sex feeling, I mean, the sleeping bond, what else could be different than regular people? I mean, what do you mean, what else? Well, I 
know, I just know that. I, I understand about the gay and lesbian, as I told you. And I understand it. But as far as the bisexual, if it's not only sex, what else is different than ordinary people, than regular people? For example, me as a woman that I'm straight and um, have a family, what's different between someone who's bisexual? No, I mean, nothing, nothing other than who you're attracted to. But I think you, I'm not sure if you really heard what I said before, that there might be some attraction you have within yourself that you're afraid to look at. There's an attraction aimed up to no. all of us. The attraction lead to what? All of us. It's, attraction is all about sleeping together. No, not necessarily. Also, romantic relationship. Who you want to be with. And that can even be, it's a little bit more, there's a lot of gray area there too, but... People, it's not just about sex. It's about attraction, wanting to be with someone. The sexual part of the relationship can contribute, is a big part of a romantic relationship, the sexual attraction and the sexual relationship. But it's not just about that. And I think that's the thing, is that you feel that if someone's attracted to men and women, that means they do more of this bad thing. And I think there's taboos you have about sex, that sex is negative and sex is bad. And like I said, you even said yourself, when I was younger and around women more, I felt like I could be with a woman. There could be something there that's worth you exploring. But, you know, and usually when we look at being judgmental, we think it makes us high and mighty and better than other people, but it's coming from something in ourselves that's not good. There's no reason to put anyone else down or judge anyone unless it's coming from somewhere weak in front of, in ourselves, not something strong. So I would want you to look at that a little bit more. And I know you have a family and you don't have to change anything going on in your life. But realize, and this is true for anything, when we hate or dislike or disrespect or don't have respect for any group, rather than thinking it's about that group, we should think that it's about us somehow. What is it about me that dislikes this group or can't accept this group or can't respect this group? Not how come they're so bad and let's try to figure out what's wrong with them. Whether it's race, whether it's gender, whether it's sexuality, it's almost always going to be reflecting something within us. So I would hope, and I'm glad you called again because you're not the only one that thinks about things in this way. And I always want to hear people that also don't agree with me because that helps me learn too. But I really do hope you'll take the time to genuinely look at some of those things. And rather than trying to find out what's wrong with them, try to find out what's going on within you. So what about human power? What is that? What do you mean? What does that have to do with it? I mean, a human has a good power to keep to get rid of the but see you keep but i think but you're missing i think okay you're kind of missing the assumption first of all i think sexuality is not something and unfortunately it's been historical that there's treatments and still people try to do treatments to get people to stop being gay um, but it doesn't work and it's just basically torture and it's horrible but your assumption again is that this is something bad or wrong how do I we think that's how I feel before I I know, but I think even, you know, I hear how resistant you are that not once have you responded to the, the things I've said about you looking at yourself. You have such a strong defense against looking at it. Yeah, because it doesn't go anywhere. It does not have clear future. What do you mean by clear? Yeah, but, okay, so you're scared to even look at it. Yep, um, I, feel like, I feel like if they're in it, their future is fucked. No, you're still talking about other people. I'm talking about you. You're still, I mean, you're, you're not, that's what I'm thinking. I think you're, that, that, that's the point I really want to get to you. I, I said it for a few minutes. That I, when you, I, I mean, I'm dealing with one of them and I feel like I cannot 
get them. No, not I them. Cannot... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Not them. You, you, not them. I, I'm old-fashioned. I cannot. I okay. cannot. Um, honestly, I would definitely can get that. If you are a woman, you are a woman. You cannot be men and women. Okay, but I think you're not even willing to look at it. Is what I'm trying to tell you. Then that's what I want you to understand. Exactly. No, I can't. I understand that part you're saying. I cannot. I, I cannot look at it. I cannot. Yeah. Have it in the home. I can I, I feel like it's disgusting. I know, but that's and that's the thing is the fact that you see it as disgusting, and that you're afraid to even look that within yourself. Could there be this part of me that is disgusting, even though it's not? Even if it's there. I feel there. like it's just about. For example, if I see a movie and I see a good woman in the movie and say that, oh my God, look at that woman. How beautiful is that? Mean I'm bisexual? No, not necessarily. You can still admire beauty and see things that doesn't necessarily mean that but what i want you to recognize is how scary it is for you to even think about these things and you use words like disgusting and this is what happens when we teach things like you know if you're gay you're disgusting and immoral and god hates you and you're going to hell or if you're this way or if you think about sex it makes you this or that it doesn't lead to people being better it just leads to people suffering in silence and doing worse things in the dark than actually facing themselves. I feel like I'm sorry to interrupt you. I feel like the reason I'm so resistant to this is just because one of my loved ones involved with it, and I feel like it brings sickness up. I'm not talking about hell or heaven. I'm not that religious. But I feel like being in it, it's all about sex, nothing else. And, uh, but a relationship does, you know what I do want, you know, we went way over the commercial and I just want to give us a few minutes to wrap this conversation up because you brought up a lot of important issues and maybe we can even talk about the personal issue you're dealing with to a degree. So just hold on the line. Let's talk a few minutes after the break. Okay. All right. All right thank you. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, I was with a caller. Unfortunately, we lost her during the commercial break. But as I mentioned, um, I'm glad she called because many people can, are going to think differently about these types of topics. And I want people to share their opinions because the most important thing is for us to have the discussions and the talk and to not just stay fixed in our mindsets, but we be willing to have conversations with people who disagree with us and hear what they have to say. But this is a topic that is very important to me um, as a human. I was going to say as a psychologist, but actually just as a human being, because it's in human rights, it's a human rights issue. And so she was asking questions about uh, bisexuality and it was hard for her to accept it and, and see it as something okay. Uh, and I think this is why we have things like Pride Month, um, the month of June is LGBTQ Pride Month. And sometimes people, when they hear this word pride, we can think of pride as something bad. And we often do. We think of pride as mean you're being boastful or bragging or being too out there. And sometimes people can think of this also when they see the, the ways that people 
act during Pride Month or the displays they have. But we're talking about pride. We're not talking about the opposite of humility or of being, uh, you know, humble. We're talking about the opposite of shame. And so members of the LGBTQ community have had to live with shame for so long and still do, unfortunately. Definitely things have become better, but it's not like it's easy to be uh, members of that community still, especially depending on where you live. I live in Los Angeles, somewhere that's more accepting, but even here there's still a lot of prejudices and stereotypes, but in other places in the United States it's much worse, and of course in other places in the world it's worse to the point where it's still considered even illegal or you can be killed for it, which is crazy um, for someone to be born a certain way and then to be killed for that. So you're born with brown hair and you don't deserve to live. And the reason why pride is important is because we want all people to feel proud of who they are and feel okay with who they are. Again, it's the opposite of shame. No one needs to feel ashamed for being whoever they are, however they are, whatever it is. And we should not make people feel that way. And as a culture and as a society, we should push towards that, to not make that the way that any group feels. So... If you have issues accepting any group, as I mentioned with her, for me this is so important because usually when we dislike a group of people, whether it's religious, whether it's related to sexuality, related to um, political party, related to whatever it might be, when we have hate for a certain group or we have lack of respect for a certain group, we always have to look at the fact that our judgment usually comes from looking at them and thinking, look how bad they are, look what's wrong with them, or let me try to understand better what's wrong with them. If we try to have understanding, it's more in that way. Let me understand their immorality or stupidity or whatever it is. But what we really need to be doing is to look at ourselves. What is this telling me about me? Why might I dislike that group? Um, something that very often happens, we can call it a reaction formation, you tend to hate things in other people that you see in yourself and you can't tolerate and you don't want to look at. And we see, actually see this a lot when it comes to, for example, men who might have some homosexual attraction, attraction to men, but because they can't tolerate it at all or accept it at all, they don't acknowledge it or see it at all, but they'll hate gay people and they'll be crusading against them and attacking them and doing whatever they can, but it's because actually it's a part of themselves that they can't tolerate, and they're taking it out on the people on the outside. That's a very common reaction when you see people who are hating another group. Usually we're hating something within ourselves. So if you find yourself having a hard time accepting any group or having respect for them, recognize that more likely than not, it says something about you and has to do with you rather than it being about them and something that's wrong with them. And so people from the LGBTQ community are have been suffering for years and years, and actually not just years and years, generations, and throughout human history. It's so nice that we're moving towards more equality, love, and acceptance, but we still have a long way to go. And I hope people can recognize that people are born in different ways and born in certain ways that may be different from us or different from what we think is supposed to be right, but that doesn't make them wrong or bad. And also the ways that we tend to think about people has been closed-minded for a lot of history. To think of 
male and female or men and women as far as genders go as just two binary things. It seems that that's a limited way of looking at it, that there's a lot more gray area than that black and white type of thinking. And sexuality, before it was basically just heterosexual or sick, perverse, crazy, or however they would talk about homosexuality. Um, but now we see, okay, maybe we can accept homosexuality. And then people have a hard time um, understanding uh, bisexuality or other types and realizing that's not acceptable. And so we, we're making progress, but we still are having trouble understanding uh, that all people are born however they are born, and we have to accept that. And hopefully people recognize that when someone is part of what they call the LGBTQ community, they're not just choosing that for some reason to act out in some way, and we want to be respectful to them. But I hope that people can have respect and that to support the gay community, support the LGBTQ community, is a sign of strength to me, and we should all be proud with them and show that pride that we love all people and accept all people as they are, and they're all worthy of all rights. All the laws need to be fair to all of us, and no one should be discriminated against. And so if we're judging some group, if we're having lack of respect for some group, we have to recognize that it expresses more about us than them and take a really hard and close look inside of ourselves. Rather than focusing on them, focus on yourself and what's going on within you that might be contributing to those thoughts or those beliefs. Okay, going into our last commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. We have about 10 minutes just giving you that warning, but okay. thanks for calling. Okay. Um, I have a five-month-old, and I'm trying to get her sleep trained. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to go about reducing the amount of times she eats throughout the night. So she'll go to sleep like at 8 o'clock. She'll wake up at 1 Again, wake up at 3.30, 5.30, and then sometimes she'll sleep after that until 7. Sometimes she'll, like, wake up 30 minutes later at, like, 6 o'clock. Mm -hmm. um, but I just don't know how I'm supposed to reduce the feedings and get her to sleep a little bit longer. Well, it kind of depends on what what your, what is your goal. Um, I guess I wanted, I wanted her to sleep, oh, like, longer than just stretches of, like, two hours or so. Yeah. So not, but like, 1.30 to 3.30 and, and so forth. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, so I, you know, I'm not going to give you the specifics on that because I know it's like there's so many things out there on sleep training and I won't get into the specifics. But what happens with parents is sometimes they don't have clarity on what they want or what they think is going to be best for their kid and why they even want to do it. And so mm -hmm. you have to think about those things. And also is, um, is the father in the picture with you? Yeah. Okay. And to make sure you guys are on the same page about your handling these things. Are you and him on the same page? 
Yes, we're on the same page. Our thing was we tried to let her just cry one night, and she just kept crying and crying and crying. That we felt so bad that we ended up feeding her. Um, so it was pretty hard. That was like maybe two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So we just gave up. And then we were like, oh, well, we need an actual plan. We don't know exactly how we're supposed to go about doing it. Just let her cry or pick her up, put her down, give her the passy, give her like breast milk. I don't know. Well, you know, and I, I usually think it's better to start a little bit later with, uh-huh. with um, the sleep training because we want the child to be able to soothe themselves. Yeah. And, you know, that takes a little bit of time for, for the baby to be able to do that, you know, and that's why we want. I would personally think starting a little later than, you said five months? Yeah, she's just five months. Yeah. A little bit later is probably going to be important because you want her, the soothing starts, depends on how we're talking about it, but maybe six or ten months they get better at that. Um, but, you know, that's something that we want to make sure if if she can't soothe herself, she won't be able to handle it. You calm know. down, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's her issue. Like, she can't calm down. Like, she'll just keep crying and crying until you give her the attention or pick mm-hmm. her up and soothe her. Yeah, and so that's, you know, to me, and I've there's a lot of people that have different opinions on sleep training. And to me, it's not a black or white thing that you should do it or do, not do it. But I think mm-hmm. if the child is going through a lot of stress and the crying continues and you don't, are not able to reduce it, then I wouldn't continue it just because you know, for example, sleep training is better than not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that to me is very important to keep in mind that if, if the baby cries and cries, you know, some people, they do the cry it out method. I don't like that as much because I think we don't know the effects that that is going to have on the kid if mm-hmm. they're just crying and crying. And, you know, if sometimes, you know, makes me feel like when they stop crying, is it they're doing okay or they've kind of given up? You know, just tired. Yeah. well, not just tired, but they've given up, you know, like I yeah. they feel like they can't trust in the first year of life. We know that a big thing, if we look at Eric Erickson, he talks about trust versus mistrust. Mm-hmm. And is this a world where I'm going to feel um, like I can be taken care of and trust in the world is very important. So mm-hmm. that's what I think is very key to keep in mind is that if your baby's crying and crying, I would not recommend that's my approach. Some people think it's okay. Let them let her cry it out, and she'll get used to it. Um, mm-hmm. But, but that—that's kind of where I come from on on that. So, how long would you say, like, if we put her down, how long would you wait before picking her up and feeding her? Like, fifteen minutes, ten minutes, or just not allowing her to cry at all? No, I wouldn't say not. You know, it's you know, babies are going to cry sometimes. Um, so. Um, that that's okay. We, it's not that we never let them cry or that we're mm-hmm. uh, not going to let them cry. We, we can let them cry a little bit and they learn to self-soothe, but we don't want to let them. I'd say more than 10, 15 minutes to me is, is a lot. Is uh, a lot. Yeah. Okay. And so if she's not ready yet, don't feel like you have to force it or push it. I know for parents also, you want to sleep more yeah, and better. Exactly. And I get that. And that obviously is a very... A reasonable thing to want and it is important and also taking care of yourselves is key a lot of times new uh, parents you know we know that having a baby is stressful and there's so many things to deal with and so many you know taking on a new role in your life and all of that but also the lack of sleep the sleep deprivation leads to a lot of emotional things going on that makes it more likely that you're going to fight with each other and you know not be as there with your child so make sure you're taking care of yourselves to a book i would um recommend i was actually trying to find 
um, the name of it. It's the, hold on one second, The Developmental Science of Early Childhood. Okay. I By, think I, I actually was a psych major, and I think that was our, our childhood development textbook. Really? Okay. Is that a textbook? No, well, this is a newer book. She, it's Claudia Gold. The last name is Gold. Um, but she just wrote, I think it's a newer book. So even if she wrote, oh, I'm sure okay. she's written lots of books before. But that's a good book where it talks a lot about um, just the research on different aspects of childhood development and, and, and having a baby and those types of things, even as the kids get older. But a lot of what she talks about in that book is there isn't always, there, there are some right and wrongs, but there's less right and wrong, like five minutes, 12 minutes. You might have some mm-hmm. guidelines that are going to help you, but what's more important is the way that you relate and interact with the kid. And so when she mm-hmm. works with parents and children, most people think it's going to be about specific techniques that are going to fix things. But we see that it's about the relationship. That's going to be most important. And even as your kid gets older, I work with a lot of families of young children and, for example, coming up with bedtime. And I don't think there's a universal bedtime like 8 p.m. is going to be better than 8.15 or 8.30 is too late. But if the parent and the child come up with it together and it's done in a way that feels good, that's going to be much more helpful than even if we have the perfect bedtime that we think is right. So, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of people telling you this is the only way or the right way or what you're doing is so wrong or so right. People get very extreme. And of course, people care a lot about their kids, but there's a lot of mommy shaming and parent shaming that goes on online Mm -hmm. and in person. And so be careful not to get caught up in those things because I see how much harm that causes, even between people who are close to each other. But we feel so anxious about doing the right thing that sometimes we take it out on other people by attacking their parenting or the decisions that that they're making. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope, you know, I know I didn't give you the specific answers you were looking to, no, and that's less the focus. Um, but I you know, really just kind of gauge your child and your relationship specifically with that child. How do you gauge? Yeah, like, I mean, that's that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, to sure. Gauge your child. Right. Well, at five months, I mean, you know, there's not, you know, she's not going to be able to obviously verbally communicate, but she'll show you how she's feeling in general. But, you know, a mm-hmm. baby is going to, do all the sorts of things they do. They cry and those kinds of things. But you just want to pay attention as they get, especially as they get older, about how they're feeling. And one thing about gauging, as you said, and related to what I was saying, they usually don't verbalize much. But when we listen to kids, we're listening through also observing them. It's not just their words. It's Mm -hmm. their actions, behaviors. And another thing in that book that she talks about is having a a curiosity as the mindset you have with your kid. That whatever your child Mm -hmm. does, you try to, rather than trying to fix it or, Uh, say it's right or wrong, try to understand where it's coming from. And so Mm -hmm. these things especially come into play when your child starts to tantrum and and do certain things like that where you think it's just them being annoying or difficult and they're just trying to make your day miserable. But really, we know they're expressing something. Something's Mm -hmm. going on. So that's something I would always recommend to anyone, even actually as we get older, that curiosity stance or mindset that when you're interacting with your child, whatever she does, you kind of look at it and try to understand, okay, why is she doing that? And just know that, you know, you're going to get a lot of things wrong and that's totally okay as a parent. Um, And I say that so you don't get too much anxiety about exactly doing it right or someone tells you this was right or wrong. Parents, Mm -hmm. they try their best, but we make lots of mistakes or there's lots of things you could do better. Uh, But don't get too caught up on those. You have lots of chances to keep doing more and more good things and right things. And even some of the mistakes you make will help your child grow. 
as long as they're not so big and you repair them, that actually leads to their development rather than holding them back. So um, good luck. Having a five-month-old is not easy, but, you know, yeah. thanks for calling in and wish you all the best. Thank you. Could you tell me the name of the book one more time? Sure. Uh, the Developmental Science of Early Childhood by Claudia okay. Gold. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. Thanks for calling. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. All right. We've reached the end of today's show. Again, uh, June is still Pride Month. There's only a few days left, but um, I hope, you know, that we continue that each year when we have Pride Month, I sometimes hope these things, like when we have days of, for the woman or these kinds of things, that there becomes a day where we won't need them anymore because we'll really have reached a place of equality where we don't have to worry about uh, discrimination against these groups, but we still definitely need that. So um, to all of those who have been celebrating, and again, pride is not the opposite of humility. Pride is the opposite of shame. and No one needs to be ashamed for being who they are and for being born a certain way. And I'll announce the book of the week. For this week, it is Incognito, The Secret Lives of the Brain by David Eagleman. I'll be talking about that next week. And next week will be 4th of July on Wednesday, so I won't have a show then. But I'll be on the air with you Monday night at 8 p.m. All right. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Rahman here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.